we have officially rebranded. This is the first episode of Gripped, and I couldn't be more excited to have a top 25, under 25 environmentalist, TEDx speaker, co-founder of Pick Waste, and my good friend who's been traveling all across the country delivering keynote speeches to youth audiences about the power of small, consistent actions. On this show, we get into the journey of what it looked like to be someone on the path to becoming a professional athlete to injuries and the impact that that had on his mental health and that ultimately now this new direction that has inspired him, inspired thousands of youth, and hopefully inspires you. This is Gripped. Sam, welcome to the show. Jonathan, man, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm super excited to be here to share some stories and hopefully inspire a couple of people that are listening in. Great. Hey, let's, let's start with the story of how we met because the first time that I ever met you was when you competed at a competition at Speaker Slam. And I was one of the judges. And the reason I was a judge because I won the year before. And you, without a shadow of a doubt, were like the superstar competitor that everybody was expecting to win. I remember like you walked up on stage, you had the mic in your hand, you took the mic, you put it on the floor, and then you gave your pitch over the course of the, the 60 seconds. You like totally blew everyone away. I remember being beside all the other judges, like who is this Sam Demikid? So how did you end up at that event? And uh, yeah, we'll start there. Funny story, actually. There's a gentleman named Sultan Akif. You know him. We all know him because we're part of the community. He builds libraries around the world. I have a friend and her, his mother, uh, her name's Maggie. She lives in Pickering. And she saw Sultan's Speaker Slam video. He won one of the monthly competitions over a year ago talking about his boy in a library story and building schools around the world and libraries around the world. Mm-hmm. And she forwarded it to me because she knew about my work with pick waste and social entrepreneurship. And she said, Sam, you need to watch this guy speak. He's so inspiring. And so I turn on this video, I watch Sultan speak in the bottom right corner. I see this speaker slam logo. Yep. And it was at a time in my life where I just started speaking in schools, very minimally, no fees, no money involved, uh, just because I loved doing it. And I was just getting into it. And I, I just thought to myself, man, maybe I can speak at this thing. And so I went on Google, I searched Speaker Slam, I found this competition, and I contacted the organizer saying, hey, you know, I would love to get involved. I'm not sure how it would look or what, what I want to do, but is there any upcoming competitions? Rena, the organizer, wonderful lady, mm-hmm. reached out to me immediately. Sam, you know, you seem like you're a first-time speaker. I don't know too much about you, but we have this perfect competition. It's a pitch competition. There's 40 speakers involved. You should come check it out. And for the next week, I practiced my one-minute pitch in my shower. I didn't really write it down. And uh, I just went up there and, and passionately delivered it. So that's why I was in the room, due to my friend's mother, due to Sultan's video. And I just, I guess that was the start of everything else, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just for like full transparency, like you, without a shadow of a doubt, won that competition. But you did get disqualified because you went over time. Uh, so shout out to Dan Arena for putting on a great show at Speaker Slam. And I uh, wasn't planning on talking about this, but you're the, the host, one of the co-hosts now of you Slam? Yeah. So we started together, me, uh, Rena's daughter, Lily, Rena, and Dan all together started a new branch of Speaker Slam called Speaker Slam Youth, yes. where we facilitate the exact same competition with 10 young people 
under the age of 18 years old and just to get them up there sharing their their inspirational stories or messages it's been good we've done one event so far i'm not too sure what the future of it looks like it was more of a pilot project okay uh, but it was a ton of fun i'm looking forward to another one and if we do host one and that's pretty much it yeah and quick plug if anyone listening has a youth that has an inspiring message or is aspiring to be a speaker in any capacity, you should reach out to Sam. But it's cool that this is almost coming full circle because didn't Sultan's daughter win Youth Slam? Not only did Sultan's daughter win Youth Slam, she also got featured on The Power of Positivity. Her oh. video was at 200,000 views. Oh my God. Uh, it's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. She, she's so young. I think she's 10 years old. She was our youngest competitor uh, just last month. And she blew me away because of her confidence. And I could see Salton's presentation through her. Like, you know, the way Salton talks with passion is the same way she talked. And it was amazing. So it's cool how he's keeping his passion within the family. And I, I believe he even homeschools his children, which is just amazing in my opinion. So, Okay, yeah, let's transition there into, into passion because you originally connected with Salton on this social entrepreneurship. He's building libraries. What was the project that you were being gripped by that had led you to Speaker Slam? Absolutely. When I was 17 years old, I started an initiative called Pig Waste. And it's not pig waste. If anyone hears that incorrectly, that's a whole different business model. Uh, <laughs> called Pick Waste, P-I-C-K-W-A-S-T-E. And I didn't start it just because I felt like starting a project. When I was 17 years old, I had a grade 12 world issues teacher. Shout out Mr. Loudfoot, Michael Loudfoot. He was very passionate. Another common trait among him that was among Salton and everyone else that really impacted me. And every day he would stand up in front of our classroom and, and basically scream saying, who has the power? And some kids would be on their laptop on Amazon, you know, shopping for clothes. I would be glued to my teacher. And his whole, his whole semester was teaching us the lessons that he learned throughout his 60, 70 years of life and in terms of world issues and history. And he didn't have a curriculum. There was no textbook. It was just his personal thoughts. And there was this one day in class, April 2017, where he spent the hour and a half breaking down the lives of figures in history. And of course, he did it at a surface level. You can't break down someone's life in an hour. Um, but what he did was he wrote their names on the chalkboard. It's funny that he had a chalkboard. Uh, underneath their names, he wrote down their greatest accomplishments. And then underneath their accomplishments, he wrote down their actions. And then together as a class, we tried to figure out okay, here's the things they did. Here are the people. What enabled each of these people to make such a massive change? Is there any common characteristics or traits? And we found out that they were all different in different capacities, but there was this one similar idea that my teacher tried to push on us. And he said it was that each and every one of them, you know, they, they achieved their massive impact by committing to thousands of small, consistent actions. And so his theory to us, the students, was if you're willing to commit to a small action consistently, you too can make a massive change. And being 17 years old, always being taught that you have to be 40 years old with a PhD and an MBA and an author of a best-selling book and a mother and a father and, you know, have the white picket fence in the car and the nine to five before you can voice your opinions and make a change. Mm. I always thought that change was not really tangible as a young person. And so my first response, the knee-jerk response to my teacher's theory was, come on, man, this is a joke. Like you're telling me I just need to take a small action consistently and you're going to write my name on the board with these people? Like, mm. this, is not, this is not correct. And I left that class, uh, but I couldn't get those three words out of my head, small, consistent actions. 
And so every day, like many kids, I would walk home from school, 40 minutes long, I would listen to music. And after that day in class, I just decided, you know what, maybe there's something here. I don't really know if my teacher is correct. I kind of did it out of the cockiness to see whether or not his theory would, would, would even play out in my personal life. I decided to take my headphones out, put them in my pockets and ask myself the question, Sam, what small action can you commit to? Let's give this a shot. And it took me 14 days before I came up with an answer. And just to keep this story kind of short, um, what ended up happening was I was walking home, a coffee cup blew across the sidewalk. And at that moment, I realized I walk past litter every single day. Why not just pick it up? And I bent down, I picked up this coffee cup, and I realized my small action could be something as simple as picking up trash. And so for four months, I brought a bag. I would fill it on my walks home from school. No plan, no vision, just to literally prove my teacher wrong or prove him correct. I didn't know which way it was going to go. I was just curious. And I didn't want to paint the picture on this podcast that I was some sort of environmentalist because I wasn't. And to be completely transparent, I'm still not really this huge environmental environmentalist. I'm passionate about it. It's a piece of me. It's not who I am at my core. Anyways, took that action for four months. Five days before summer break, my good buddy Dylan was driving home in his Honda SUV, looking like a father. <laughs> Rolls down his window. Sam, what the heck are you doing? I explained to him the theory. I just explained to everyone who's listening, small actions, massive change. He said, why don't we do something with this? And so we, we started an organization called Pick Waste, where we would pick up trash for one hour once a week. In the span of a year and a half, since July 1st, 2017, we filled just over a thousand bags. It was featured all over the, all over the news, CBC, CTV, City News. We've met some amazing people and it fundamentally made me realize that you don't have to do something crazy to make a difference. The craziest thing about the whole story is that all I did was pick up garbage. That's it. All the skills that I've amassed and learned over the past year and a half were due to the fact that I picked up a piece of trash. No pun intended. It sounds kind of funny. And to answer your question, that's how me and Salton really connected on a deeper level. I was building pick waste. He was building library in a week. And we had this synergy around social impact. It's incredible, man. And there's like a lot that I want to unpack there mm-hmm. from like the, the trajectory of where you went from there, uh, talking a little bit about your teacher specifically. So I, I do want to get to what you're doing now and how Pick Waste has kind of led you there. But can we go back? And the reason we're going to go back is because I don't want there to be any misconception about what this podcast is about. This podcast is 100% a Trojan horse. And when I say that, it's like, yeah, I'm really passionate and excited about human performance and potential and like what you're up to and all the exciting things and how that could inspire the listeners. But this is really, uh, at the end of the day, about mental health. And that's my jam. It's what I love talking about. It's where my story comes from and where I started. And, and the reason why I think this mental health conversation is so important is because you met this teacher who said small, consistent actions at a really vulnerable time in your life. Had you hurt your knee during that class? Was it before or was it after? Where was that? So there was three injuries. Uh, the first one is at the beginning of grade 12. wasn't in Mr. Loudfoot's class. The second one was at the end of grade 12 in his class. And the third one was in a fifth year. Okay. So you had hurt yourself before he had started to share this message with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you, you're a competitive soccer player. You have this dream of playing professional soccer and you hurt your knee. And, you know, 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, I've been an athlete and I've had injuries and that can be really devastating for your self-esteem, for the way that you think about yourself or what your future looks like. You, there's a little bit of overwhelm and hopelessness that can come with that. Can you describe for the audience at that time in your life, what did injuring yourself when you had this huge dream of being a professional soccer player, what did that do to uh, your mental health and the way that you had approached your day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Just so there's no disconnect and everyone understands, Jonathan's alluding to pre-age 17. My entire life was spent, you know, trying to become a professional athlete, specifically a soccer player. When I was 13, I lived six months in Italy. I was exposed to the professional culture. I came back from that trip and recreated that all throughout high school. And the way I kind of explain it to students when I speak is that I didn't have an average teenager life. I didn't drink. I didn't party. I didn't touch drugs. I didn't do anything that didn't support soccer Sam. And that was my email address. It's like mm-hmm. my identity was tied into the sport. We weren't in the yeah. same. And so at the age of 17, which is the year most athletes attain scholarships to NCAA schools, division one, that's the most crucial time. In my opinion, I had that first knee injury, which was a torn left meniscus. I'll never forget the day I was playing. It was at 11 PM game just before halftime, five minutes before the whistle bumped this dude shoulder to shoulder, 250 pounds, no fat, just an absolute beast, caught myself, boom, felt something in my left knee. Uh, sat, like took a knee on the field, ref signaled me, walk off the pitch, middle of winter, I walked outside, took my boots off, took my shins off and just screamed, top of my lungs. And my coach ran behind me, he's like, Sam, what are you doing? And I was like, coach, I don't know, I just know something's really wrong. And I went home that night. My parents were already sleeping because the game ended at like 1230 in the morning. And I crawled out of bed the next day, went into their bedroom. My knee was swollen like a volleyball. And I started bawling my eyes out. And I said, I'm going to miss this opportunity. Because the most crazy thing was a week from that initial game where I injured myself was the biggest showcase of my life. When Memphis University, a, a, a school that already flew me in, fully funded to tour the school, meet the staff, they were going to watch me play in Florida seven days after that injury. And that was going to be the final decision, whether or not they bring me on as an athlete, full ride scholarship. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this can't be happening. I've spent 15 years trying to make this thing happen. This can't be happening. And I had to face the reality that it it did happen. I got the surgery done. I got back onto the field. And after the first injury, um, although it was really tough, in back of my mind, I still thought this is very tangible. People have 15 knee surgeries. I'll be fine. And so I pushed myself and I used that adversity to my advantage, almost like fuel, because all of a sudden everyone was saying things like, oh, Sam, Sam's not going to make it. Yeah. He's not going to be able to do it. Everyone started doubting me and it, it pushed me further. And so I spent the next four months getting back onto my feet. And, you know, the craziest thing happened. I was in a game with my team, similar situation, did a slide tackle, stood up immediately felt the same feeling in my knee that I felt the first time four months earlier. And the second time, which was now when I was in Mr. Loudfoot's world issues class, when I've already heard this lesson. And by that point, I actually started picking up trash. I was still playing sports, but it wasn't nothing huge. Just walking home from school. I, I remember having that really bad feeling because it happened mid game. I started crying immediately in front of my teammates, my coach, my family. I walked off the pitch, went to my car and drove home. No questions asked, just left. And it's crazy because in the back of my mind, I knew it was time to stop playing, but I, I couldn't. And the reason I couldn't, it wasn't physical, it was mental. I had my identity so deeply rooted in the sport that although at that point I physically wanted to quit, I mentally couldn't let myself do it. 
because I thought that if I stopped playing soccer at that point in my life, that I would just be worth nothing. Yeah. And it's, that was soccer for me, but every person, as you know, attaches their identity to something outside of themselves. Usually unless someone tells them not to, which is a message that most kids don't hear. It's like, choose one path in life and go for it. And if you don't get it, then shucks. So I was in a terrible place after the second knee surgery specifically, because that's when it was really more mental and not just physical. And I went down a really bad path in terms of my academics when I was in Mr. Loudfoot's class. Uh, He was actually the only class that I excelled in because I loved the material. Everything else I was doing really terribly. Um, And then I went into the fifth year and the third knee injury happened, stopped playing the sport. And it was harder to admit it to myself than it was to my parents and my peers. And uh, that's when I just took that different path with pick waste. So to answer your question, my mental health at the time was terrible. Um, in fact, it was worse than my physical health. Although I had knee injuries, it was really an identity issue, which comes from the mind that I was struggling with the most. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I was at at age 17. Yeah, I appreciate the context and the backstory there. I think it's really important for the listeners because you had this really challenging experience. Now you're in the middle of Mr. Ladfoot's class. Did you feel when he was giving this message and you started picking up trash, at what point did you say to yourself, I can make a transition? I can make something out of pick waste or I can make something out of public speaking or I can make something out of inspiring people. Where did you go from the identity being deeply rooted in soccer to uh, this really challenging valley in your life to then now coming on the other side of like, I can do something new and feel that, that grip, that intensity again. To be honest with you, I was very uncertain. I don't know if there was a time when I thought to myself, Oh, I'm on this new perfect path and it's all going to work out. I don't think it really happened. I would say as we started to build the initiative throughout the summertime, and do these weekly cleanups, we started to get a lot of positive reinforcement. And those positive interactions with people in the community and the news and the press and certain little things that piqued my attention that, oh, this matters and we're making a difference, started to really reassure me that my actions were meaningful, not only to myself, but also to others in the community. And that's what kept me going. I would say it would be that first summer, the two months when we really started the thing Mm -hmm. and just got it going. The tipping point in terms of speaking would have came at that speaker slam competition, the one that you were at. Yeah, the catalyst. Um, Yeah, not only because I met you, I also met Blake, which I'll tell Mm -hmm. a funny story about, and Cody, um, and Gina, and all these amazing people that I talk to all the time now. And funny story, so everyone gets some context, Blake Fly saw me speak for one minute. We talked for five minutes. Six months later, I got an email from TEDx Youth Toronto, uh, and they said, hey, Sam, we want you to speak at our event. And I called them, and I said, where did you find me? <laughs> How did you get my information? Oh, well, this guy, this dude named Blake referred you. That's awesome. I was like, what? So I picked the phone. I called Blake and I was like, dude, thank you so much. So there's one catalyst from Speaker Slam. Cody Schuwen's one of my best friends now. I talk to this guy like weekly. I talk to you all the time. It's like, it really started from that event. I realized that speaking is a thing that people do for a living and make a huge impact doing it, but also a nice income. And yeah, I would say that's the biggest catalyst moment in terms of speaking, but in terms of pick waste, it was just starting it and getting the positive reinforcement. Okay. One last thing on Sam Demma's mental health from 
injuring himself to getting some momentum with pick waste and feeling like he had a new trajectory. What would you share for any of the listeners, whether they have uh, youth in their life, whether they're a youth, they have, maybe they have kids uh, for those people that feel like they're, they're almost like floating or they don't really have a clear direction or maybe they had an identity that has now been dissolved and completely eradicated. Like what would you tell those people as a message that would be empowering for them to start making uh, smarter decisions and steps in the right direction? Yeah. The first thing I would say is that there's two people in any situation, not really two people, but imagine you're like two different identities. It's like you as a person and then you as the things you do. And in the future, if you've already undergone something like I did with sports and yourself as well, Make that realization moving forward that although you have things that you love doing, don't attach yourself to them so it doesn't happen again in the future. That would be the first thing. The second thing I tell students all the time is that your path in life will never be linear. Like it, just, it, it just isn't linear. If I look where I was two years ago, what I wanted, who I was as a person, and who I surrounded myself with, it's totally different. It's world's different. I couldn't even have imagined it two years ago sitting at my desk thinking, yeah, I'll be speaking on stages and doing all this stuff. Like, No. It's just life happens. So you have to keep moving forward and realize that it changes quickly. In terms of the direction thing and the purpose that people feel like they lack or don't know what they want to do with their life, I would just tell someone to identify a problem. Passion is the wrong word because it's too general. Identify a problem that exists. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be social. It could be an entrepreneur problem. Like your coffee cup's too hot so you need a little sliver on it. Whatever it might be, find a problem and start taking a small action towards solving it. Because solving problems provides meaning, in my personal opinion. Um, when I feel like I solve a problem for someone, it brings me joy. And I think it's the same for everyone else. Everyone's really just solving problems. Any business person solving a problem. Anyone who works a job is solving a problem. I think we derive meaning from solving problems. So I would just tell people, yeah, find a problem. Take small actions towards it. And the funny thing is that you don't know where it will go from there. I was solving pollution problem. Now I'm a speaker. Mm -hmm. What? So just, just take, take a small action and, and let it unfold. I think your story is really inspiring and I hope the listeners are getting a lot of this. It's really insightful for me. I want to finish off on a very practical note. One of the biggest challenges for people who are ambitious and they have big dreams and they, they want to achieve more is the need to self-promote. Hmm. You need people to know about your message or your dream in order to impact them. You could have uh, the best mayonnaise, but if nobody knows about your damn mayonnaise, nobody's buying your mayonnaise. And so one question I have for you is, do you know who Car Grant Cardone is? Yeah. Of course you do. So <laughs> the reason I asked about that is because he's like, when I look at who knows how to self-promote, uh, Grant Cardone wants to be omnipresent, he describes it as. He wants to be everywhere all the time, so you, you see him. So my question for you is, because it is a barrier for so many people that need to promote themselves is how do you, Sam, get over the, uh, whether it's uh, challenges with ego or not wanting to look bad or, or feeling like you may be rejected by people. Like how do you get over that, that mental hurdle to do self-promotion? Because I see you're doing it and I really admire it because it's so important if you want to get to where you want to go. So can you share some practical tips on, on how you look at that and then what you do to get over that hurdle? Absolutely. I would say the first thing is that, like you said, you know, the mayonnaise example, I'm going to shift it to a speaking example just because I'm a speaker, you're a speaker, it makes sense to talk about it. Say you're a public speaker, but there's no videos of you anywhere speaking. There's no pictures of you speaking. 
There's no stories on Instagram of you speaking or talking about speaking. How is anyone ever going to know you're a speaker? The first thing to realize is like you need to be putting out the content or it's never going to happen. You don't put it out into the world, it won't find you. And so I realized that, okay, first, I definitely need to make content and post it. The second problem was, in my, in my personal opinion, was thinking about what are people going to think when I post mm-hmm. something? And that's a common barrier for everyone. Yes. And then you have to start asking yourself, well, who am I posting the content for? Because for me, social media is not about friends and family. Friends and family is very private and personal. I don't care about that stuff on social media. Yeah, I like my family's picture and whatnot, but I'm not having meaningful conversations on IGDM. Like, <laughs> I don't use that's that true. for, yeah, I don't use it for personal stuff. And so what it's, what it's for in my life is business, right? I look at social media as a way to drive business, but also influence people, whether that be students, parents, teachers, whoever. And how are you going to do that by posting relevant content to the buyer and also the, the audience, which are students. And so when I reframed that in my mind, I lost the judgment piece because I didn't care what my friends thought because it's not for them. And I just said, okay, I'm going to post. The third thing I did was look at everyone else who's killing it in the space and what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And I just see everyone posting pictures of them speaking and then doing all these amazing things. And I just took the oldest lesson in the book. You want to be successful, take someone else's six steps and pop them in and <laughs> <pop> them out. <laughs> so I added my little spin to it and gave it a shot. And I would say those three things are the keys. You just got to, you know, firstly realize if you don't put it out there, no one's ever going to know. Second of all, reframe who you're posting the content for because it's not for your family or friends. And if they're disappointed with you, tell them to unfollow you because it's a business page if you're running it like a business. And then the third piece is just, uh, you know, model someone else who's already done it. And that's what I did. Sam Demma, you are, in my opinion, just an amazing example of what happens when you're gripped by some sort of project, some idea, some initiative, you're confident, you're charismatic, you're uplifting, you're changing people's lives. So I'm really appreciative of you spending the time with me here. One thing that I do know for certain is that because I'm asking the questions, I get to direct the podcast. I want to finish off with the same question that we always ask, and that's for you to share whatever's on your heart whether that is something that you read in a book recently, a message that really inspires you, something that you want to impart on the listeners today that they can go home, they can let marinate in their minds and hopefully make a difference in their lives. The toughest decision I ever made in my life was to drop out of university. And everyone who's listening is like, oh, <laughs> drop out of university. Uh, but it was the best decision I ever made. And the reason it was the best decision I ever made was because it was a gut decision. I listened and reflected on what I personally wanted, not what others desired for me. I love that. And so the piece of advice I would just leave here on this podcast is don't do things based on others' expectations because if you do and you follow through, at the end of the day, they're going to be happy and you're the person living that life that you totally hate. Mm -hmm. Life is way too short. You have to follow your gut and do the things that you love doing. Um, Don't live your life based on the word should. Live your life based on the words I want. And that should get you to a really happy place, regardless of what others think. Fantastic, man. Well, I know that I want you to continue to crush it because you deserve it. I'm happy that you're happy and that you're living life on your terms. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope we get to do a round two. For everybody that wants to find you on social media or they want to connect with you, maybe we've got an event host that wants to reach out and have you go to uh, one of their schools, which I highly recommend. I've seen you speak. You're powerful and you do make a difference. Where can people find you? 
Absolutely. So typically I would drop a social media link to be completely honest with you. I don't really like social media. It's business platform. If you are really intrigued by this conversation and want to chat, send me a, a message. My phone number is 647-991-3187. Call me, text me, introduce yourself, and we can have a real conversation on there. If you're a teacher or a counselor or a student wanting to bring to your school, just go on samdemma.com, S-A-M-D-E-M-M-A.com, and you can find everything there as well. Thanks, Sam. This was a blast. Thanks, brother.